All right, if you have your Bible, we are going to be in Acts chapter 9. Uh, we'll be here for today and next week, and then we'll be moving uh, to Acts chapter 10, which comes after Acts chapter 9. I know that's a surprise, but um, Acts chapter 9, we're going to look at just one verse. Uh, but before I get there, um, one of the things that I, um, if you spend any time with me, eventually we're going to start having a conversation in regards to this. Uh, one of the things that, that I love to, to study, one of the things that I love to read about, I love to read about church health. And, and normally when I start talking to Tina about church health, um, she listens for about 30 seconds because she's a good wife. And then she, she, she does this. I can tell when, when, when she's clicked over, and this is not a shot at her, because sometimes she'll talk to me about things, and I'll do the same exact thing, except I don't even do the 30 seconds. I'm like, mm-hmm. Right? You know, you, the, the glassy-eyed look, and you, you nod your head every once in a while, but you've got to kind of listen a little bit, because you don't want to say yes or no, or nod your head to the wrong thing, because... That can get you in even more trouble. I'm, I'm getting the look right now. So, But what I do, I love to, if you look at my bookshelf, I've got a ton of books about church health and, and, and what it means to, to, have, a, to have a healthy church and, and what things are, are, are needed for us to do that. The church is the body of Christ. You know, I, I think you've all heard that term before. The church is the body of Christ. It is the physical manifestation of God's glory to an unbelieving world. So if people want to see what God is like, where's the first place they're going to look? They're going to look at the church, right? And so that's why it's important that churches be healthy, that churches be manifesting God's glory, because when unbelievers are trying to figure out what is God like, they're going to look at the church. And if we're um, the stereotypical church that you see on TV and we're fighting with each other and arguing with each other, people are going to look and go, I don't know if I want to be a part of that. I don't want to have much to do with that. And as the pastor, one, one of the reasons that I, I, I get into this kind of thing, one, it interests me, but two, I feel like as a pastor of this church, I have a certain responsibility to make sure that our church is maintaining the health that it needs. Um, church health and growth doesn't necessarily just mean numerical growth. Lots of churches can grow, right? I was having a, a, a conversation with, with another pastor friend here in town, uh, and we were talking about... Uh, something and I said yeah that well we were talking about another church um and, and I said yeah that church is growing they're growing like crazy and he goes yeah you know what else grows cancer grows mold grows and I was like yeah I guess I guess you got a point there um it doesn't just necessarily mean numerical growth it also means spiritual growth just because a building can bring in a lot of people doesn't necessarily mean that it's healthy right it, it also relies on our spiritual growth A healthy church, as we will see as we dig into today's verse, is a growing church. We're growing numerically, we're growing spiritually. If there is no growth, either numerically or spiritually, then there's probably a health issue, right? Those of us that are parents, when we have kids, and I'm going to use Tina as an example again here, um, babies' children have milestones that they're expected to hit, Right? They, they're supposed to be a certain height by a certain point. They're supposed to have a certain weight. And when you take them to the doctor, they, uh, like sometimes because Tina's working, I have to take the kids to the doctor for their well baby visits. And so help me if I come home and I cannot tell you exactly where they are on the growth chart in comparison to everybody else. Right? And if a kid's not hitting one of those growth uh, benchmarks, it, 
People lose their minds. Like alarms are going off and the doctor's concerned. And I, one time, and this isn't in my notes, but I, and I got to hurry. One time I didn't answer a question right. They asked me a question on this survey when I took one of the babies in for one of the kids in for a, a well visit. I didn't answer the question right. And suddenly we were getting letters and emails and stuff from the, from the um, health and human services. Like, well, here's the, all these programs. Like, all they said was she couldn't pick up a block, right? And all of a sudden, it was, everybody's panicking like the, the baby wasn't growing the way they're supposed to. But so in, in, with our children, if they're not hitting certain things, we start to get concerned. The same thing is true for a church. The church is a living organism. And just like we'd be concerned if our children weren't growing, the same can be said of a church. If a church isn't growing numerically or spiritually, that's something to be concerned about. One of my, uh, one of my heroes, Charles Spurgeon, very excited to get to quote from him today, he said this, Do we imagine that the body can be sick, and yet we as members of it will not suffer? If the church of God departs from the way, it will be to our injury. If the truth of God is not preached, we will be the losers. If Christian life is not vigorous, we will be weakened. Now, thankfully, Luke, the one who wrote the book of Acts, through the Holy Spirit, he gives us a description and a prescription of what a healthy and growing church should look like. And by emulating what the church in Acts chapter 9 was doing, churches can see the same growth as well. So let's go, uh, Acts chapter 9. I'm going to read the verse, and then we'll pray, and then we'll dive into this. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. And Andrew, if you want to put it up on the screen in case uh, somebody doesn't have their Bible or a different translation, it says this. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you'd be with our time as we uh, look at this scripture. Lord, I thank you for uh, what you, through the Holy Spirit, what you gave Luke to write down and what you did through this church, Lord. And I pray that the same thing uh, can be said of our church, that years from now, decades from now, hundreds or uh, centuries from now, when people look back, on the, the history of Shenandoah Junction, they'll be able to say Grace Baptist Church was a church that was very much like the church in Acts chapter 9. Lord, I pray that that would be true for us. Uh, I pray that that is true of us now. Lord, help us to be different people as, uh, as a result of us being here this morning. We ask this in your beautiful name. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 9. Um, there's three things that I want us to see that are descriptive of this church and prescriptive. Things that if we follow are going to continue, uh, allow us to continue in health and to become even healthier. So the first thing that we see uh, in Acts chapter 9, 31 is that the church members were at peace. They, it, it, all of what we've seen um, from in, in Acts chapter, um, in the book of Acts, sorry, I'm jumping all over the place. In the book of Acts, almost from the beginning, almost from, I'd say, about Acts chapter 3, when Peter and John went to the temple and they, they healed the lame man, from that, about that point up until where we are now in Acts chapter 9, the church has been in a, uh, a state of turmoil. There, there's been internal conflicts. There's been external pressures put on them. The, the Jews were against them. Uh, there were all of these people that were against them. The Pharisees were against them. Saul was going against them. It was a, a state of turmoil. But now as we come to what the church is here, 
there's a period of rest. It tells us, it says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. There was a time. Now, there are a couple of events that took place that allowed this to happen. The first thing, as we've seen in the first part of Acts chapter 9, is that Saul, the guy that was tearing the church apart, well, he had an, he had an encounter with Jesus Christ, and, and the belief system that he was on his way to destroy completely changed his life, and now Saul is going around. He was in, uh, he was in Damascus, and then he came to, to Jerusalem, and now he's back in Tarsus. He is, he is going around, and he is preaching the same thing that he had been trying to destroy. So the number one persecutor of the church that was tearing it apart was now a friend of theirs. Now, you got to imagine there were probably still some people that were a little concerned, like, is this dude for real? Right? He's not like a, you know, a mole that's in the organization or anything like that. Right? But they had peace from that. The second thing, and I thought this was kind of interesting, there was also a historical event that was taking place. Uh, at this time in, in, uh, in history, the Rome, the Rome, the Rome, like, like, the, uh, like the Iraq, right? Some of y'all remember that. Um, Rome had emperors. And when somebody became the emperor, they, he was treated as if he was deity, as if he was God himself. And a lot of the, uh, the emperors started to believe that themselves. And at this particular time in history, there was an emperor named Caligula. My understanding is Caligula was a pretty nasty dude. Um, but one of the things that he did was he went to Jerusalem and he wanted to build a statue of himself and set it up right smack in the middle of the temple. Okay, The temple was where the Jews went to worship God. They, they had their, their law that they followed from the Old Testament. They, they would go there and Caligula said, well, since you're worshiping God, you might as well worship me. I'm going to give you something to worship. And he had a, t- uh, a statue of himself built and he was going to have it installed in the center of the temple. Now, this was a complete violation of Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, which says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And so the Jews, they were like, whoa, we can't have this. What does this fool think he's doing? Now, they were probably thinking this in their head. They wouldn't actually say it to the emperor. Um, but so for a time, instead of going after the, the Christian church, the Jews and the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, they turned their attention to fighting against the emperor and this statue. So they had, the church had this momentary reprieve where um, the, the people that were persecuting them had turned their attentions somewhere else. So all of this was taking place. And so what was happening was not only were they experiencing this peace where they, they had this freedom to go and share the gospel briefly throughout this, they were also experiencing a time of unity. When there's not, when there's not the turmoil pushing against you, when there's not the external pressures, it's much easier to be unified inside the church. And instead of constantly bickering with each other, the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, which, as we learned before, was, was a huge thing because the people in uh, Jerusalem, they hated the Samarians, and the Samaritans weren't particularly fond of the Jews either. The fact that it says that all three of those groups had peace shows you that there was unity in the church. They were all working toward the same goal. They were unified in sharing the gospel, and they were unified in the choices and decisions being made in the church. I don't know what that book being was, but... 
Anyway, we'll keep going. Psalm 133 verse 1 says this, How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. A clear sign of a healthy church is that the members of the church are living together in harmony. They are in accordance with the leadership of the church and are supportive of the decisions that the leadership is making. God puts leaders in a church, and I know this is going to sound kind of self-serving, right? Because I'm up here and I'm telling you, you should support the leadership of the church. But when God created the, the, the church as an organization, right? The church is, is his body, and he puts people, he, he appoints people, he calls people to lead that church. I'm going to be honest, I'm going to be straight up honest. It's a hard thing to do. It's a very difficult thing to do. It's even harder when people are snipping and biting at your heels. And anybody that's been in any kind of leadership position, whether it's a manager of a store, whether it's uh, you're in charge of an office, you know what it's like when the people that you're trying to lead are, are constantly pushing it and, and going back against each other. It doesn't mean that there's a blind adherence to what the leadership says. I have a friend who is uh, he, he's dealing with some stuff where leadership said one thing and, and people are just blindly going along with it, even though it, 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 you read it and you're like, man, this dude is nuts. Right, this guy is, is straight up crazy. It's not blind adherence to whatever the leadership says. God doesn't expect us to blindly follow everything that is being said. If something goes against Scripture, we're not to follow it. If something goes clearly against the Scripture, we're not to follow it. But we need to understand that God gives us leaders, and God has leaders take us in certain directions because those leaders are going to stand accountable to God one day. And so we have to trust that our leaders and the things that they're trying to do and the directions that they're trying to take us in have been prayed over and, and wise counsel has been sought and all of those things. All right, a healthy church consists of believers who support each other and understand that sometimes change is inevitable. That sometimes things have to change, especially if we're seeking to follow God's leading and to advance the kingdom of God. If we're constantly fighting with each other, we, we're not at peace, we're not unified, and so therefore we're not going to be a growing and healthy church. And I, I'm saying we, I'm not talking necessarily specifically, but apply it if you want to. The second thing that we see is that the church members were strengthening one another. All right, The scripture tells us here, it says, so the, church, so the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, Samaria had peace and was strengthened. And where was that strength coming from? That was coming from each other. The word that's used in some, uh, some translations is the word edify. They were building each other up. This word strengthen means that the members of the church were building each other up, promoting their spiritual growth, and confirming their faith. They were, they were walking with each other. They were encouraging them to be in their scripture. They were encouraging them to come out to, to, to Sunday school and to, to Bible study and all of those things. The Greek word here, it's really long, I couldn't pronounce it, so I'm not even going to try. The Greek word here demonstrates a continuous action. This wasn't a one-time thing like, hey man, you should be in Sunday school. No? Okay, peace. Right? They, they were continually in each other's lives, encouraging them. It was something that was taking place on a constant and continued basis. And according to one of my books on this, that I was preparing for this, the believers were continuing to become stronger in their faith in Jesus Christ. Their faith was strengthening because of their constant exposure to God's word. Romans 10, 17 says this. So faith comes from what is heard 
And what is heard comes through the message about Christ. Our faith grows when we're exposed to, uh, to God's word. So if you want your faith to grow, if you, want to, uh, if you want to become a mature Christian, do you know what you have to do? You have to hear the Bible. You have to read the Bible. You have to be constantly interacting with the Bible. I hate to say this because I, oh, I don't even hate to say it. You're not going to grow as a Christian if you're not coming to church. It's that simple. If you're not in church, you are not going to grow as a Christian. All right, I'm just going to lay it right out there. The believers were gathering together and they were talking about the Bible and what the Bible said. They were putting themselves under the apostles' teaching. Their faith was growing because they were doing these things. The second thing, the believers were learning more about the word of God. Through the apostles, they were learning about Jesus and his teaching. Remember, the apostles, we looked at this in Acts chapter 1. The apostles were ones who had been with Christ from the very beginning when he started his teaching ministry all the way through his crucifixion and had seen him in his post-resurrection state. That's how they chose, uh, they ended up choosing Matthias to, to be the, uh, the apostle to take Judas's place. So when they went to, when, when the churches were going, they were learning from the apostles because the apostles had seen it firsthand. They were the ones who had been on the mountain when Jesus was giving them the, uh, the, the, the lessons that he taught from the Sermon on the Mount, which we're doing on Sunday nights. Just a plug, just throwing it out there. All right. They were the ones who had witnessed his miracles, his healings, and the way that he commanded nature. They were the ones that were in the boat when the storm was coming, and even the fishermen who were in the boat were like, oh my gosh, we're going to die. Jesus, don't you care? And Jesus gets up and goes, yo. And the winds just stopped. All right, it's in the Greek, trust me. I'm a Greek scholar. All right, Jesus is like, yo. And it just flattened out. All right, they saw all of these. The apostles had spent all that time with Jesus learning about how the Old Testament referred to Jesus or pointed to Jesus. These were the things that the believers in the church were learning and were studying and were using to build each other up. They were hearing it firsthand and they were taking that and rather than sucking it all in and just keeping it to themselves, they were building each other up through that. Uh, I'm going to read a lengthy passage from 2 Peter. Peter's the, the, the apostle here. He said this, For we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of, the, of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard the voice when it came from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. We also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed, and you will do well to pay attention to it as, a, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you know this, no prophecy of scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation. Because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The ones that the disciples were learning from church, that was Peter who just wrote that and said, listen, everything that I'm teaching you, I saw it with my own eyes. You can trust me with what I'm saying. And then third, their edification, their building up, help them to learn to become more effective witnesses for Jesus Christ. In the midst of this momentary lapse in the persecution, 
the believers were able to share more openly and more boldly. They could go out and they could share their faith without being worried about whether they were going to be pulled before the Sanhedrin and beaten down like John and Peter were. They, they were able to, they took advantage of this opportunity to proclaim the gospel with even more intensity. There was definitely a sense of urgency to their message, not knowing when the persecution might come up again. They had no idea when the Jews were going to be tired of arguing with the emperor about this, uh, about this statue and turn their attentions back to beating down the church. So they went out and they said, you know what, we don't know how much time we have. Time is short. We need to be sharing the gospel. We need to be telling people about what's going on. I think the same thing could be said for us. right? We, we are living in a, a, I've said this before, we, we're living in a post-Christian environment. People are becoming more and more hostile to the message of Jesus Christ, right? We, it, it, before, years and years, decades before, you know, it was, it was, everybody was expected to be coming to church. And if you didn't come to church, you were weird, right? We're getting to the other side of the spectrum where we say, hey, I've got to go to church. And everyone's like, really? You're going to church, right? I can't play ball today. I'm going to church. Seriously? You're going to church? We're, we're, we're on that other end of the spectrum, Things are, I, 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 I've heard people say this, and, and I'm not one that reads tea leaves or you know, sees, sees the, the Antichrist in every, every credit card swipe or any of those, but things are not going to improve. It's going to get to the place where here in the United States, we may find ourselves in a situation just like they find themselves in China, where at any moment the government could come in and shut us down. There are things that are, that are leading in that direction. We need to be going with an urgency to share the gospel. Paul wrote this in Ephesians chapter 6, 19. He said, Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. A healthy church is a church that works to build each other up. As believers in this church, our faith is not personal. Okay, let me say it again. Our faith is not personal. And what I mean by that is so many, there's a big push for privacy these days, right? People get mad at Facebook because Facebook is not keeping their privacy, but we're telling Facebook every single little thing that we did, right? right? We, we tell, and then we, we, we tell Facebook, oh, I went to this restaurant, and I went over here, and I did this, and I saw this person, and then we get mad because Facebook is using that. Like, seriously, what are we doing? There's a big push for privacy, your Christian faith is not private. It is not something. Now, it is a personal relationship between you and Jesus Christ. But if you are a member of this church, it is not something that you keep inside of you. The reason being is we have a responsibility to each other to be encouraging and pushing and causing each other to grow more. And if you are keeping it inside of you and you're trying to be a Lone Ranger Christian... I don't need anybody else. I can do it on my own. Do you know what's going to happen? You're going to fall flat on your face. Your spirit, it is not going to grow. Let me tell you a story here. When I was in college, we played a game called broom hockey. All right, and broom hockey, it's exactly what it sounds like. You get out on the ice, you got a ball, but instead of having a broom like uh, Harry Potter flies around on, witchcraft. All right. <laughs> Thank you for laughing. I appreciate that. We, we had these things that looked like brooms, but they had these, uh, the, these rubber... Um, I guess, blades on it. And, and so basically, you played hockey, you, you held it like a broom, and you, you hit it around. And, and my team was doing okay, my, my team was doing all right. And, and I was, you know, I was out there, I was, I was 
laying it down and, and trying to do the best that I could. And, and my friend Mike pulls me aside. He goes, dude, you're doing great. I think you could do just a little. We're almost about to win this thing. We're almost about to win. You know what I did? I went out and sat on the ice. Like, psh, I, you know, that's not what I did. I got out there and I, I, I played so hard that as soon as I got back to my room, we ended up winning the game, by the way. It was, it was pretty exciting. We won the, we won the championship. Um, I got back to my room. I played so hard. I laid on my bed. I was asleep in two minutes. When we're pushing each other, when we're encouraging each other in our Christian lives and we're saying, hey, man, I like the way I've seen you grow in Christ lately. I like this. I'm praying for you. I, I really like the way that you're doing this. That should be an encouragement that causes us to go even further. Let me read um, Ephesians chapter 4, 12 through 15. It says this, Equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a statue measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. When Paul wrote that, you'll notice he used the plural forms of the words. My grammar is tucked away. I can't remember what I'm supposed to be saying. He didn't say, I'm going to grow or you will grow. He said, we and us. He was talking about the plural, all of us together. Paul was telling the Ephesian believers that they had a responsibility to help each other grow in their faith. You can't do that on your own. We are responsible to help each other grow. If we want to grow and we want to continue to become more like Christ, we cannot do that by ourselves. The reason that so many believers fall away from their faith or they get caught up with false teachers. I have a whole list from here. I decided I'm not going to say their names. They get caught up in these, these teachers that, that tell you that if, if you trust God, that he's going to give you wealth and health and all of these things. And that if you're, if you're sick or you're poor, it's because you're not right with God. The reason that people get caught up in those things is because they've isolated themselves or they don't have anybody to help them grow. They, they've, they've did not. they don't understand that our faith, while it is personal, also has a corporate aspect to it. We need each other and we need to hold each other accountable. Building each other up is why we have Sunday school. It's why we have Sunday morning worship. It's why I push so hard for people to come out on Sunday night. It's why I'm encouraging you in the month of July to read the New Testament through with me. It is a challenge. It's going to be hard. But I'm going to encourage you and push you and, and, and want you to do it because I want to see you grow. Edification is one of the ways that we grow in Christ. The third thing about this church is that the church members were walking with God. It tells us in the last part of this verse, living in the fear of God and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. 1 John chapter uh, 2, verse 6 says this, the one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. A third sign of a healthy church is walking with God. Acts 9.31, which I just read, shows us that the church was living in the fear of the Lord and they were encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Now that phrase, fear of the Lord, it's a little tricky. Because when we hear the word fear, the thing that comes to our mind is to be scared of something. All right, I, I know there are people who are scared of the dark. There are people who are scared of spiders. 
I happen to be scared of clowns, all right? It goes back to when I was in middle school and there was a movie, but I happen to be scared of clowns. I'm scared of heights. I won't ride roller coasters because I'm scared of heights. You think that's kind of strange being as tall as I am. I don't like being off of the ground, all right? I, I had to climb up and clean out my gutters the other day. It took me 20 minutes to recover from being up on that ladder. I'm like, I'm like, Mike, just hold the ladder. Hold the ladder, Mike. I'm like, you okay? He's like, yeah, I'm good. Like, he wouldn't even come up and help me. I'm like, Mike, you want to do this? No, nah, man, I'm good. All right? We all have these fears. Um, but what it means, the fear of the Lord is not being scared of God. You don't want to be scared of God. How can you be scared of somebody who is so loving? What it means is it means to live with a sense of trust, reverence, worship, and obedience. When we live in the fear of God, we give witness to the glory of God. All right? we, we become overwhelmed by the grace of God and live in light of this. We are so overwhelmed. We are so caught up in what God has done for us. Like I prayed, uh, when Adam and Eve sinned, God could have come down and wiped everything out and started over. But instead, what he did was he put a redemptive plan in place so that man could be redeemed back to him through his son, Jesus. Even when they continued to jack things up over and over and over, and God said, you know what, fine, I'm done, except for one dude. And he put Noah in a boat with all of his family. He could have started over then, right? Then the children of Israel, he, the hundreds of years down the road, they're messing around, they're jacking stuff up, and God says, you know what, I'm done with these people. Moses, I'm starting over with you. Never at any point did he wipe everybody out. He was always had somebody because he had a redemptive plan to bring mankind back to him through his son, Jesus Christ. We need to be overwhelmed by that grace. We need to never get past that. That's what it means to live in the fear of, fear of the Lord. Psalm 147 verse 11 says this, The Lord values those who fear him, those who put their hope in his faithful love. Each one of us who is a believer today should live in awe of the grace of God. We were enemies of God. Like, everything that we did went against what God had for us. Every plan that we had was contrary to what God had. And yet, in, in, in despite that, we were, God looked down and said, even though you're my enemy, I still love you. And so what he did, Romans 5, 8 says this, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We, we need to never get over the fact that we were God's enemy, and yet he sent his son to die for us. Ephesians, verse, uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. I haven't said this in a while. One of my favorite verses. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. We are saved because of God's grace. We should never get past that. That's what the church, they lived in light of this. Not only was the church living in the fear of the Lord, they were also being encouraged by the Holy Spirit. We've talked a lot about the Holy Spirit as we've gone through this book. As a result of their awe of God's grace and mercy, the believers were yielding themselves to the Holy Spirit. And as a result, he was giving them comfort, counsel, and exhortation. The Holy Spirit was reminding them of their salvation and pushing them to continue in good works. Now, what was the result of all of this? All of these things that they were doing, they had peace and unity. 
They were building each other up. They were walking in the fear of the Lord. What was the result of this? The result of this was that the church was exploding. They were growing like crazy. Come on, faith. There we go. Luke tells us in Acts 9.31, the last part is that the church was increasing in numbers. This was a healthy church. Basically, the poster child for what a church should look like. These three things are essential for a church to fulfill the mission that God has given them. We must have unity with each other. Right? It doesn't mean we're always going to agree with each other. Right? There are some things that, that people do and people say, I don't agree with. All right? I don't agree with most of you. All right, I probably shouldn't say that. Right? Let me take that back. Rewind. All right. There, there are things there I, I can guarantee 100%. That, that I, if I had money, I'd put it on. There are things that I've said. There are things that I've done. There are things that I want to do that people in this church don't agree with. Right? But we go along because we're trying to fulfill the mission that God has given us. And sometimes we have to put our preferences aside. Sometimes we have to understand that, yes, this was great 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. This is not going to work in the next 5, 10 years. We've got to be willing to do those things. We need to be unified in that. We need to be building each other up. We need to be encouraging each other to grow and to do those things. We must have unity with each other, trusting and loving each other in Christ. This is how those outside of the church will know we are believers. John 13, 35 says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciple, if you love one another. We must also be, like I said, we must be edifying each other and building each other up. Tina's a big believer in mentors. Tina loves talking about mentorship. If you want to sit down and talk to her about mentorship, bring a sandwich because you're going to be talking for a while. She, she's a huge believer in it, all right? And what being a mentor is, is you find somebody. I have a mentor down the road. His name is Brian. I call Brian. I send Brian a text. I say, Brian, what do I do in this situation? Brian has walked down the road that I'm walking down. He helps me. Older ladies here in the church, we have younger ladies who need your help to continue in the faith. Older men, we have men in this church who need your help as they walk down the path that you've been down. They need to know what your marriage was like. They need to know what it was like for you to raise your children into to the godly individuals that they are. Or maybe they're not, and you can help them smooth over some of those bumps. We need each other, excuse me, to do those things. Younger people, we need to be teachable. That's something that I struggle with is being teachable, being willing to listen. Or maybe it's vice versa. Maybe, maybe older people, we need you to be teachable while we are trying to help you navigate and learn things that are going on. All of these things are necessary for us to grow in our faith and our maturity. And we need to walk in the fear of the Lord and yield to the Holy Spirit. If we ever get to the place where the grace of God is no longer overwhelming to us, if it's old hat, if we go, oh, He's talking about the gospel again. Ugh. Doesn't a dude ever get tired of talking about the gospel? Doesn't he ever get tired of talking about Jesus dying on the cross? If we ever get to that place, we've got problems. We've got something that needs to be taken care of right away. Living in the fear of, the God, fear of God under the authority of the Holy Spirit is essential for our spiritual health as individuals, but also as a church family. When we have these things and are continually doing them, the impact that will happen in our community for Christ will be immeasurable.
Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for, for this verse, Lord. It's one verse, and people can, can gloss over it, but there is so much meat packed into that. And Lord, I thank you for what you've done in our church, Lord. I thank you um, for, for who we are. <coughs> Excuse me. For who we are as a church here in this community. Lord, I thank you for all of the things that this church has done in the past. Lord, I thank you for the things that this church is uh, doing right now. But Lord, more importantly, or just as importantly, Lord, I thank you for the things that we are going to do in the future. And Father, in order to be able to do this, Lord, I pray that you would continue to help us to be healthy, that you would continue to help us grow in these areas. Lord, that we would, we would never get over the fact that your son died on the cross for us, that we are living in, in the fear of God, Lord, that we have an awe of you and all of what you've done for us. And Lord, help us to constantly be, be lifting each other up in prayer, to, to be encouraging each other to, to be in scripture and, and praying with each other and for each other and, and diving in and talking about the Bible together and, and, and learning the things that we need in order to help us to become more mature Christians. Lord, help us not to neglect meeting together, but Lord, help us to understand that coming to church and being in church is essential to our Christian life. Lord, I understand that there are things that, that come up and, and, and there are times when we can't be here, but we have got to make it a priority to be in church, to, to hear God's word shared because that is what uh, the catalyst we need for our faith to grow. Father, I pray that if there is anyone here today whose faith is small or who has no faith at all, that the Holy Spirit would open their eyes, that they would see their need for salvation, that they would have the opportunity to to give their heart to you and make, the, make you the, the Lord of their life, that they could have a, a, their heart of stone removed and a heart of flesh given to them so that they can be redeemed back to you through what your son did on the cross. Lord, I pray that we'll all be different people as a result of being here today. Lord, let your Holy Spirit reign in us, help us to yield to him and, and the things that, that he would have us to do. We ask all of this in your beautiful name. Amen.